Hello, this is Mike Burek, your host and the producer of Knenitsia, The Well, a monthly podcast series about Ukrainians and their activities around the globe. Today is Monday, March 1st, 2021. Our guest for this episode is Andrew Ninka, who is the editor-in-chief of the Ukrainian Weekly and Svoboda newspapers. Welcome, Andrew. How are you? Hi, Mike. It's really great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for joining us today, Andrew. My pleasure. To start off with, I'd like to get some background on you and, and your family. Uh, where did your parents come from in Ukraine and when? Sure. So uh, my parents actually were refugees. They were born in refugee camps. Um, so my grandparents uh, fled Western Ukraine. They were from Drohovich, Stri, basically the Lviv region. Um, and during World War II, when they recognized that um, the Soviets at the time were, were likely to win, um, they, they recognized that they needed to flee, they needed to leave. So they left. Um, my mom was born in Czechoslovakia in a refugee camp and lived there for four years before moving to the United States. And my dad, same thing, but in Austria. And Andrew, where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in beautiful, lovely New Jersey, um, technically Edison, New Jersey, uh, and grew up for most of my life in New Jersey. But when I was 15, my family and I actually moved back to Ukraine. So I, I was 15. It was 1992. It was a year after independence. Um, so I think that had a, a tremendous impact on me moving to Ukraine at, at age 15, just after independence. And then um, my parents stayed there for quite a long time, I think between 10 to 12 years, depending upon which one. And then I came back to the States for, for, to finish high school and to go to college. So when did you come back to the States? What year? I think it was, so we went there in, in and I, I don't remember the months. It's actually kind of a haze to me. I, I remember we went in 92 and I think I probably stayed for about a year. Um, I went to school. I went to a Ukrainian school, not a, not an American uh, international school. And um, I think we recognized quickly that if I wanted to go to college in the United States, I would probably need to come home and finish high school in the States because the accreditation in Ukraine just wasn't really, it was non-existent. And so colleges, I, I don't think, our thinking was colleges would, would never have recognized the academic work there. And if I wanted to go to college in the U.S., I'd have to come home. And I'm curious, why did your parents move back to Ukraine? Was it for patriotic reasons? Yeah, so my mom at the time was working for AT&T, and um, I think it makes sense now as I'm a little bit older and I understand things a little better, uh, the long-distance telephone network in Ukraine at that time was um, archaic, really. I mean, it was extremely old, and it, it was done that way largely to control, um, you know, at the time, so this is prior to independence, um, the Soviets really wanted to maintain control over who was calling internationally. And so their, their network was not big. It, it, it had a very small bandwidth. And so AT&T was hired along with a couple other companies. I think it was a German company, a Dutch company, to in essence come in and, and completely revamp the long distance telephone network. So AT&T was looking for people who knew the culture, who knew the language and, and who would be willing to go. And so they asked my mom if, if she wanted to go. And I remember the day that she came home and said, hey, are you, would, you be, would you be interested in going to Ukraine? And I you know, being kind of young and idealistic and naive, I said, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Let's do it. It sounds like a fun trip. And um, 
And I think I was very shocked when I got there, you know, that the culture was really so impacted by, by the Soviet legacy. Um, but I will never forget also, you know, my, my mom said, let's, let's do this. We should go. We should help. Right. We were always raised to help. We were raised to maintain the culture, maintain the language. And I'll never forget the day that, that we said, my mom said this to my grandparents, to her parents. And I, I remember my grandmother saying, Nunashto, like, why? why, why do you want to go back? Like, isn't life good for you here? And we said, well, you raised us to do this. I mean, you raised us to try and remember and help when we can. And so this is what we want to do. And were your grandparents here in the States at the time when you went back to Ukraine? Yeah, they were, they were, when they came here, they moved to Bayonne. Um, So they were living in Bayonne at the time, New Jersey. And so you started talking a little bit about your education. You mentioned that you came back from Ukraine to go to high school here. Yeah. And where did you go to high school? And then uh, what about college? So for, I started in high school in Franklin Township, which is where my my family lived. So that's in New Jersey, uh, basically between New Brunswick and Princeton. And when I came home, my parents, as I said, stayed there. So they, they stayed probably for like 10 to 15 years. I think my mom was like 10 or so. And my dad was probably like 15. So when I came home, I stayed with um, very good friends of mine. They basically were like second parents to me and, and they, they took me in and I stayed with them. And so I went to a different high school, which was South Brunswick High School in New Jersey. Uh, for college, I went to a small college, small liberal arts college in Pennsylvania in Allentown called Muhlenberg College. And I was an okay student, nothing great, um, pretty average, really no interest in journalism. Not, not that I didn't like it. I just didn't know anything about it. I was a very... Uh, I was kind of a student who wanted to try different things and really wasn't great or exceptional at anything. And so when I graduated, I really was a terrible writer. I, I had no interest in journalism. I fell into like a sales job. Um, and it wasn't until starting that sales job that I was probably six months in and I was like, I really don't like this. This is not for me. This is not something I want to do long term. And a friend of mine said, you know, the Ukrainian Weekly is looking for someone. Are you at all interested? You know, if you're looking for a job, why don't you check them out. And so I, I did. And I went and, and interviewed for a position. And Rama Hadzevich, who was the longtime editor, um, hired me. Um, and I am forever thankful to her and grateful to her because she gave me a chance in journalism when I really had no experience at all. Um, and she sent me off for my first assignment. And, and I remember coming back and, and saying, okay, uh, what do I do now? And she said, well, you were there. You tell me what happened. And that was when I was really hooked because, you know, I, I understood that, that this is a job where my boss doesn't really tell me what to do. I go out and do something and I report it back to her. Um, so ever since then, I, I recognized that I, I, if I like this, I have to get better at this and I have to, I have to learn. So that was really a mixture of me learning on my own. And, and when the time came, I then went for a master's and, you know, kept pursuing my education and kept trying to get better and better. And then um, eventually moving on also to a, to a doctoral program as well. And so what did you do after the Ukrainian weekly and your master's degree? Yeah. So when I, you know, most the traditional progression in journalism would be that you would you probably wouldn't even go to school for journalism, although there was always some debate about that. But tr- like back in the day, you know, decades and decades ago, what people would do is they would mentor younger journalists at newspapers. So that's really where a lot of the professional education typically happened. At a place like the Ukrainian Weekly, we just didn't have the staff to do that. So 
about four or five years into the job, and, and bear in mind, I mean, you have to understand, I, like I said, I fell into this job, right? So think of this, 2001, I started at the Ukrainian Weekly in April of 2001. September 2001 is 9-11. And I was covering 9-11 at ground zero. I had no idea what I was doing. And shortly after that, 2002 is the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. I was lucky enough to get the accreditation and cover the Olympics in 2002. I mean, I was able to cover some amazing things and I had like no experience, no education. So after I really got into the job and really just enjoyed what I was doing and was trying to get better and built up some sort of a resume, some sort of clips that I could show people, examples of my work, in other words, uh, I then applied for master's programs. So it was at that point that I recognized I probably had enough experience to be a good applicant. But I also had not enough experience that going for a master's would probably be, be very beneficial to me. So I applied for a master's to NYU and went through their um, journalism program, which I, I thought was really, really helpful. But the master's programs for journalism are always very professional. In other words, they're, they're about the practice of journalism. They're not really about the academic um, kind of deeper thinking about the work or what you're doing. So when I did the master's, um, I was at the weekly at the time, but I was really interested in trying to see if I can be a, a, a mainstream professional journalist. And so I, I was interested in moving to daily newspapers. And so that's what I did. I moved to the Daily Record, which is a, a Gannett owned newspaper in New Jersey. Uh, and Gannett is one of the largest newspaper companies in the United States. They own USA Today. So I worked for Gannett for a while, uh, basically doing general assignment stuff. So really what that means is you come in and you don't necessarily have a beat. Your, your boss or you find something going on and you go cover it. It could be an accident, could be a fire, could be a town, town council meeting, could be a board of ed meeting. And I, I, I really like that because I went from writing for a weekly to writing for a daily. And at the time I thought, you know, it, how can you do a story a day, much less some people were doing three stories a day. And by the time I got done, I saw that, no, there is a way to do this. And, and I sure enough got to a point where you can do three to four stories a day. And it, it, that pace was really exciting. It was, it was kind of thrilling to come in. You know, I'd come in maybe at six o'clock at night and, and go to a town council meeting at eight o'clock at night. And I knew that my, my deadline was like 944 at night. So, you know, between eight o'clock and 944 at night, I had to go to a, either a town of a board of ed meeting or a town council meeting, find a story come home, write the story and file it in time for deadline. And I, that was really thrilling. Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. You know, like everything it's, it's uh, it can be daunting, but once you recognize the steps involved and, and how you get it done, it, it's really not that daunting. So turning to today, uh, you mm -hmm. are now the editor in chief of the Ukrainian weekly in Svoboda. Mm -hmm. How did you come here? Yeah. So I, you know, as I said, I, I, I did the professional education and then I was working in journalism, but it, it really started to hurt what I saw happening to journalism and, and still does, right? I, I, I think like many people, I'm in many ways disillusioned with what I see with, with mainstream journalism. And I think I needed to know more about that. I wanted to dig into that more. And so I, I, the, the, the master's degree, as I said, is a very practical education. So at that time, I, I, I said, you know, maybe this is the right time for me to move 
and, and apply for, for PhD programs because I wanted to dig deeper. I thought that there was really a lot more that, that journalists and journalism could be doing. And I wanted to know, you know, we always talk about how critical journalism is to democracy. And I wanted to ask, well, how do we know that? And, and, and not only that, but if it's so critical, are there things that we're doing that, that we're supposed to be doing that we're not doing? And are there things that we could potentially be doing that are actually hurting democracy? So I applied for and went through the PhD program at the University of Maryland. And um, I was lucky enough to have advisors and a committee that were very supportive of what I was interested in. I was interested in, in Holodomor as a topic, but I, I, I found that it wasn't the history that really fascinated me. It was really more kind of thinking about the phenomenon of journalism and, and the way it interacts with society. And so I, I chose as a dissertation topic, um, journalism in Ukraine. And so I, I started to investigate, in essence, uh, the norms of journalism in Ukraine. And I wanted to understand, do journalists in Ukraine believe that they play some role in their democratic society? And do they think that there's something they can do that hurts democratic society? And that was precisely at a time when Ukraine was dealing with war, um, dealing with incredible division within the country. And I wanted to understand whether journalists were aware that they have some role to play in either keeping that society together or further splitting them apart. So I did that. And when I finished, I really was looking for academic jobs. Um, I really wanted to teach journalism in a, in a university, but it's very difficult to find a job. And so some time passed. My wife is also an academic, so she we've moved around a bunch. And it just so happened that, you know, Rama reached out to me about a year ago and said, hey, I'm, I'm considering potentially retiring and I just want to know whether you might be interested in, in taking over. And so I said, yeah, you know, I, I, I certainly would. I mean, I don't know that I can. Um, at that time, this was still pre-COVID, pre-pandemic. And so the office is based in, in New Jersey and I was, I was in Boston. And I said, you know, I, I just don't know if I could move down there, but I am interested. And then some time passed. And by the time that she actually announced her retirement, and by the time the Ukrainian National Association, which is the publisher of the two papers, announced that they were looking for someone, they had gone, they, the weekly and Svoboda had gone completely remote, and they were working completely remotely. So I think largely because of that, it, it helped us get to a point where I, I could truly consider taking the job because I could do it remotely. So I was very lucky and very fortunate in, in, that, in that sense that, that that time, that that COVID happened, that some time passed and Rama and the UNA saw that the job really can be done remotely. And so when it came time, I applied and, you know, they, they had um, a number of different applicants. So it wasn't just like they chose me because Rama and I had talked about it previously. Rama really wanted to know if there were candidates out there and they were looking around for people. And so, you know, they, they started looking for people. I applied, we, we went through the process and, and that was it. Andrew, can you give us just a very short thumbnail sketch of the history of Svoboda and the Ukrainian Weekly? I know they've been around a long time. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is a very big point of pride for me because, and it's not really for me, but it should be a point of pride for our entire Hromada, for our entire diaspora, for all uh, Ukrainians around the world. I mean, Svoboda is the oldest, in, sorry, Svoboda is the oldest Ukrainian language, continuously published Ukrainian language newspaper in the world. Um, it has been published continuously since 1893. I think one of the most fascinating parts of its history to me is that the UNA did not give rise to Svoboda. It's actually the opposite. Svoboda gave rise to the UNA. 
it was at that time that many Ukrainian immigrants were moving to places like Pennsylvania and were working in coal mines, very dangerous jobs. And there was a group, there were a group of, of uh, Ukrainian Americans who came together and said, you know, we need something that binds us together. And they formed the newspaper. And that same group kept lobbying for some sort of national organization to help Ukrainians, to help provide benefits to Ukrainians who couldn't, at the time, it was really a funeral issue. The, they were dying in coal mines and they, they needed to pay for the expense of a funeral. And this organization, this group of people said, you know, we, 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 our diaspora needs a community of, of, that can come together and help each other. And so because of the lobbying of Svoboda, in 1893, they actually formed the UNA in 1894. The history of, of the weekly is, is a little different, but basically Svoboda was being published. And in the 1930s, as uh, the famine starts unfolding in Ukraine, and as it becomes clear that the national publications in the United States, the English language newspapers in the United States, the English language media is not covering, or I should say, because some did, they're getting it wrong. And, and this is where Walter Durrani and the New York Times and knowingly reporting false information about the famine, about the Holodomor, that the Ukrainian community said, we need our own English language newspaper to tell the truth. And so the weekly came out of that. And so the weekly was founded in 1933 with a purpose of, of really informing the non-Ukrainian community about events in Ukraine and the Ukrainian diaspora. Andrew, unfortunately, we're almost out of time, but I did want to ask you one more question. Do you have any plans for the weekly and Svoboda now for the future? Are there any new projects that you're possibly going to tackle? Yeah, so there are obviously a lot of internal projects that we need to work on. There are things related to subscriptions and advertising and internal technology. Um, there's a lot of upgrades that we're looking to make so that the newspaper is both more usable for our audience. I'm thinking of, of things like search our entire archive. Our entire archive is online and it's a remarkable thing. So every issue of Soboda is online. Every issue of the Ukrainian Weekly is online. And that's truly a, a, a remarkable accomplishment that, that Rama Hadzevich deserves a tremendous amount of credit for, along with Ihor Pilipchuk, who did a lot of work to, to digitize that. But really what, what my mission is long-term is... Um, getting our community to invest in both newspapers. And I mean, uh, with small donations, big donations, I'm looking for big donors. We, we really are, I am truly extremely ambitious about the future for both newspapers. I want them to grow. And I do believe that the Ukrainian diaspora wants to support Ukrainian causes. And I think our newspapers are what binds a community together. I think they're a forum for our entire diaspora. And I want them to, to be a better representative forum of the entire diaspora. I would like to see us covering events in Brazil and Chile and Argentina and Seattle and Winnipeg and Ukraine and wherever else Ukrainians reside. And in order to do that, I need to convince our community that you should support this. And I think we've built up a very good tradition in history where I can say to that community, look how long we've been around, look how wonderful we've done. Now help us grow and help us expand into the new into the new era. So that's really my biggest challenge and that's really my biggest mission. It's very ambitious, but I, I believe I believe that there's so much support in the Ukrainian Hermada for really great causes and I believe this is one. 
Andrew, thank you so much for this fascinating story. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I mean, this is really wonderful. I wanted to give a plug for Andrew also because he is going to be a speaker at the upcoming Nashi Prekir Ukrainian Genealogy Conference, which will be online on April 10th, which is a Saturday. And you can find out more information about that at the website ukrhec.org. And this is Mike Burek, your host and the producer of Kronitsya, The Well, a monthly podcast series about Ukrainians and their interesting activities around the globe. Until next time, that's all for now.